0: I want you to open your Bible this morning to three places. Two of them are in the Psalms. One is in Numbers, Numbers chapter 14, Psalm 78, and Psalms 106. Those three places. Numbers 14, Psalm 78, and Psalms 106. Just about any church going person, any church member, any attendee at just about any religious gathering, Christian gathering, if you ask them if they believe God, they will always, almost always say yes. And of course, we are here. I assume we're all here because we do believe in God. And there is a spirit of faith that Second Corinthians 4 speaks of, having a spirit of faith. And I believe that there is a spirit of faith, there is a spirit of unbelief. Just as there is a working of God to prompt you to believe God, encouraging you to see what God is saying and opening your eyes to see that and enabling you to desire that, I think that's the work of God. I think there's also a spirit in this age, this hour, that does the opposite. Makes you wonder about what's said questions whether or not it really does work because you don't see a lot of evidence of it. You believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That was so long ago that you just sort of take that for granted. But as far as my daily life and where I'm living and how I'm living in this hour of my life, sometimes we just keep these haunting questions about, I don't, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And I bet everybody in this room has had to fight that. Now, having said that, I believe there is a spirit of unbelief in the world. And that if we as Christians are not cautious, circumspect, if we're not paying attention, one day you'll find yourself wrestling with something you used to believe that told that time has taken was that you went from being real sure about it and living like something's true to whether you're not exactly doing it now because you're not exactly as if you see what I'm saying there can be a decline in your life and you don't even realize it you just figure that's natural we're getting older and we think more and we deal with things more and maybe it's But there is a spirit of unbelief. There is a work of the devil to discourage you and to cause you to step back and rethink about the way you're living, what you're doing, and to wonder whether or not it really is like that after all. And we have to fight that because that's a very subtle working. Now, I've given you that much time to find these three passages. Numbers chapter 14. And verse 11, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be before they believe me for all the signs which I have shown among them? What do you think God was saying there? Was he not speaking to the people he led out of Egypt? And had he not done great signs and wonders? Had he Not? Did he not display his might and his power time after time in doing the impossible for people that could do nothing? And then here they come in the wilderness and they constantly murmured and complained. The most negative minded man, which goes with unbelief. It just became very negative. I don't think they became negative. I think they always were. They just didn't realize until they were tested. Because, see, this is not the good side of God when you do what they were doing. God said, how long is it going to be before these people believe me? What more do I have to do in order for these people to live convinced that what God has said once is enough to say it and that he'll do what he said? Look what I did. I not only told them what I would do, but look what I did for them. How long is it going to be? Now turn to Psalm 78 because in Psalm 78, it's a history of this time in the Bible, of the Exodus. And just a couple of verses here. Verse 22, I'm just jumping in in the thought. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Now, this is the way God saw their questions they asked. This is the way God interpreted the attitude these people of his had about him when they were not, well, I don't know. You know, this same psalm we'll get to after a while, I guess. He, you know, they folded their arms and said, well, we know he's done it once, but will he do it again? It sounds like a little rap group that just so negative. A negative. So as he said, they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation, verse 32, it says, For all this they sinned still and believe not for his wondrous works. didn't matter what he did. It didn't change their attitude about him and towards him. These people were so selfish and so self-serving that everything had to be their way or they weren't happy, and they murmured because that is a major sign of unbelief. Now, the title of the message today is The Unveiling of the Unbeliever. It's taken away the protective covering that an unbeliever has to reveal exactly what unbelieving is in the eyes of God, because so far, God has said just the questions that people asked, the halting and not too sure about what's next that God leads us into, whether that'll really work, whether we ought to do this or not, I don't know about that. God calls it unbelief. He did all these things so they would go, wow. Things that we should be able to look back 20 years ago, 30 years ago if you've been saved that long, five years ago, all these testimonies, you ought to be able to still look back and take courage and say, praise God, he is working in my life. Look what he did when I had no help. Instead of going, well, I know it worked then, but I don't know about now. See, if you're not careful... Your lifestyle can lead you to this. You get so busy. You get so employed by the things and the ways of this world and its schedules. You start listening to stuff you don't need to listen to on the radio. You start thinking about things that are negative. And you start listening to people that talk like that. And you get like that and you don't even know it. You don't even know it because it happens. Then in verse 41, and this is where it leads to, they turned back and tempted God, and they limited the Holy One. They said, well, we know he could. We're not sure he will. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, it's okay. It's one thing for God to heal a headache, but, you know, this is cancer. Or this is heart, or this is liver, or this is whatever. This is real serious. And, you know, we can give all the little testimonies about, you know, I stubbed my finger and I had a headache. But this is something else. As though, as though God can't do that. See, somebody talking like that has made it to you as maybe that's right. Maybe we're not supposed to run to God for all this stuff. Who told you that? Where did you read that? Because then you start thinking about that, and it's impossible to turn on a radio or a TV without a medicine commercial. It is impossible. If you listen to it long enough, they will tell you why you're going to get sick and what's wrong with you and what will heal you. Well, it'll help your condition. It'll create a lot of side problems, but it'll help you. I heard one the other day that will help you, uh, maybe, I don't think it was sleep, but it was something. I try not to listen to these. Sometimes I hear them before I can get the thing turned off. And the side effects of this thing had to do with potential heart attacks, liver damage. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people taking a lot of drugs today. A lot of men are taking a lot of drugs today for reasons they, sh- they shouldn't be taking them, and it's going to tell on you later on physically. You can't play with that stuff and think you're going to have a good time is payday someday. Sometimes you just need to let God take care of your whole life, your body, your future, your presence, everything about you. But you listen to so many people talk, you start thinking about what other people are thinking about, and they begin to conform you to their ways instead of the other way. An unbeliever, it can be the church going, choir singing, preacher, the deacon, the biggest singer. You can be all of that stuff and be in unbelief. It doesn't mean you're not believing some things. There's a lot of things you just naturally believe. But your life can begin to exemplify this and this and this and this and this this of unbelief. It's just that drawing back. And you will admit, oh, God could. Oh, he could do that. Oh, I know that. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously he could. But unbelief sets in, and when you begin to think, I just don't know if I qualify for that. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if if, maybe I'm not in the will of God here. Maybe I'm missing somewhere. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And then you draw back, and like he said, they didn't trust in his salvation. Salvation includes our well-being. I don't care what the Christian bookstore's books say. It includes your well-being. Now, God forbid that anybody talk us out of that. Or God forbid that you would let your minds listen to that stuff and talk you out of it and put questions in your mind, things that will hinder your faith. Look at Psalm 106. You've surely found that one. Psalm 106 and verse 13. Let me read verse 12 first because this is where we are. Then believed they his word, and they sang his praise, hallelujah, hallelujah. The next verse, what does the very next verse say? Now, they soon forgot. Let me ask you a question. Does forgetfulness have anything to do with unbelief? Now, some would argue with that, but I'm just asking the question. Would forgetfulness, forgetting God and what he has said and done, does not remembering that have anything to do with that which would displease the Lord? Would it indicate something greater? I didn't mean to do this, but put your finger where you are and turn to Mark chapter 8. This wasn't in the original plan this morning, so I won't charge you for this, all right? look at Mark chapter 8, verse 15. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and so forth. They reasoned among themselves, saying, well, we don't know what that meant, but it probably has to do with bread because he said leaven. Therefore, we have no bread, and now we're in trouble with the Lord. Now, notice, now in light of what I just read in Psalm 106, verse 13 and 14, listen at these words. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, don't you get the picture, and neither understand? And what's the next part say? Have ye your what? Your heart hardened? Well, what's he talking about? None of us have ever hardened our hearts. Church members don't harden their hearts. These were his disciples. Now, they did, but bless God, I wouldn't. What does he mean by harden your heart? He said, don't you have eyes to see? Don't you have ears to hear? Don't you all have eyes to see out there this morning? Jesus said to his disciples, said, don't you have eyes? Can't you all see? Haven't you noticed anything that we've been walking together? Have you watched me do anything? It goes back to the same thing that God did. The signs I did, did you see that? Jesus said, here, have you not paid attention to what I have done concerning bread? Bread? How we fed 5,000 one time and had all these baskets left over. We fed 4,000 another time, all those baskets left over, and you guys are arguing about bread? We're supposed to realize that if he's done that for somebody, if he's done it once, he'll do it again. See, people talk people out of faith and say, well, what he did then was for that particular time and for that particular situation and instance, and you can't believe that he'll do that today. Hogwash. He did it so they would remember. He said, didn't you see what I did? Didn't you hear what I said? Now notice, wouldn't you say this is a rebuke? In verse 21, he says, how is it that you do not understand? Because a man who is forgetful, not paying attention, and does not perceive and doesn't get this thing, he will doubt He will be in unbelief because he or she will draw back from trusting God. That's what unbelief does to you. It makes you draw back. Maybe draw back very piously. Hallelujah, I'm drawing back. But you draw back. Our journey is not in reverse. As somebody once said, we're going uphill without brakes. We can't turn back. There's no going back. God didn't call you to quit, give up, and look back. He called you to go forward. If you look back, that's another sermon. See, he's on our side, but he hasn't made it easy for us. That's why there are many call, but only a few are going to make it, because not everybody is going to be willing, because a lot of people are going to be talked out of this life. Because there's going to be an easier way, a more comfortable way, a less demanding way, and just an oozy way. And this idea of putting your hand to the cross and bearing down and striving to enter into the narrow gate and laboring to enter into that rest, all of that is just condemning. I have refused to level an accusation against God that his word is condemning. His word is not grievous or burdensome. Only to those people who have been told that nobody can do this, that that's too hard, that's too harsh. They're the ones who draw back. That's not the way it should be. And in verse 21, what does it say in verse 21? And soon, as it often happens, they forgot God. They forgot God, their Savior. Go back to Psalm 106. six. That is just wanted you to see in Mark that Jesus was rebuking disciples for forgetfulness. Now listen, forgetfulness had to do with unwillingness. They didn't know what to do. Because their heart becomes hard, you're getting by without all of that gospel stuff, and you begin to harden your heart against doing it, you begin to draw back, and you forget. You no longer can remember. It says in verse 21, they forgot God, and in verse 24, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, and notice, because I'm going to hit this again in a little bit, in verse 25, they what? They murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of God because they were busy with other things or discouraged or disgusted or felt let down. They're not getting what they thought they were going to get out of this, so they just quit going. But this is the way it works. That's the devil's ploy. To get you to draw back, give up, throw in the towel, and so forth. Isaiah asked a question. Isaiah 53 I said, who has believed our report? What's the report? The declaration of God to his people, what God has said. Who believes it? Well, every church member would say, I believe it. I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe the word of God is true, and I believe Jesus is coming back, and I believe in miracles. I believe all of it. I believe the leather on the back page of the Bible where it says pure leather. I believe it's pure. very piously say all of that. And I'm sure a lot of people that believe, right. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying that a lot of people say it, but there's more to it than that. For example, when Isaiah said, who has believed our report, Paul quotes him in Romans 10 and verse 16, you know, the verse before faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, Paul quotes it by saying this, he said, for they have not all obeyed God. And then he quotes Isaiah, for who has believed our report. He is saying that to believe is to obey. Oh, now, wait a minute. So we ask the whole church to come together again. How many of you are obeying God? (laughs) I'd like to. How many of you believe God? I believe God. How many of you are obeying God? Well, I know I should. then here comes this clever theology of the last days. Well, you know, I'd like to obey God, but, you know, I just can't, not in this body of sin. As long as I'm in this body of sin and sin rules in this body, I can't, I can't do all the things I'm supposed to. I'm, I just can't. Therefore, it is to be understood that nobody can live this life. Therefore, we are all excused and dismissed from having to be faithful to God because we're going to make it anyway. Hey, they say. If as a Christian you have to do anything to get in, it's not grace anymore. Interpreted means that if you raise your hand, went forward, with whatever people do to express, I want to be saved, that doesn't matter for the rest of your life what you do with it, how you think, what you live, you can revert back the way you did. I guess some of them no, he's going to heaven. Now you talk about a spirit of unbelief. You talk about a spirit of unbelief that has fostered a doctrine. How the devil is more clever than people realize and made people think, I don't have to obey God. If obedience is required, then it's a work and it's no longer grace. And therefore, I don't have to obey God. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do anything. They think, well, you don't read that in the Bible, do you? No, it's an idea. It's a theory. It's a belief. What they don't realize is That if you are one of God's elect, you don't just say, well, I'm elect, I don't have to do anything. If you're one of God's elect, you have to prove that you are. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? How do you know? Well, I don't know. I have to believe it's in there. So if I believe my name's in a book, I'm going to live like I'm one of them. That's why we live the way we live. It's not to try and get saved. We were saved without anything we ever did. We couldn't do anything to get saved. But once I'm saved, he said faith without... Works means you're living a dead life. Your works is what the fruit comes from. And the fruit is what examples Christ in you. We just spent a couple weeks talking about that. So he said, who has believed our report? Let's say it like this. Who has obeyed our word? Everybody's listening to it. Who's obeying it? Who is ordering their lives according to this word? What if I said to you this morning, if you're not obeying the gospel, then you're not believing the gospel. Now, see, it gets quiet. Nobody likes that. It's like prophesy smooth things to us. Tell us something else. Don't tell us that because, see, I have to live with that. If you tell me that I'm not living the way I should and you can show me evidence of it, then I'm bothered. I'm disturbed. I didn't come in here this morning to get disturbed and bothered. I came in here to have a lively, good time. Well, you might have come in here, too, because God loves you enough to whack on your headpiece. That's your mind and tell you that the way you're living isn't the way he wants you to live. You're going to have to straighten up. And he points us back to his people, personally chosen people that he drew out of Egypt by his great might and power and planted them where he's going to plant them, and then he gets disgusted with them. Look at them. And the thing he talks about, the one thing he said, they not only don't believe me, they don't understand me, they've forgotten me. All of that comes under the heading of unbelief. This is what happens when you begin to mingle with the enemy. When you begin to associate with the world and its ways, the spirit begins to cozy up to you. If you're still in Psalm 106, look at verse 35. They were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. Who was? God's people? Okay, if these things that you're reading were written for our learning, then what is it we're supposed to learn when we read this? Can it happen to us in the same way that happened to them? Can it happen to you and I the same way that it happened to them? Is that what God's trying to show us? Well, he isn't trying to show us anything. God doesn't have to try. He just does. Listen to it. But were mingled among the heathen and learned their works, how they lived. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. And they made sure their children, when they grew up, had all the latest worldly gadgets and dolls and stupidity that they could give them. One, a three-year-old dressed like a Barbie doll. How foolish. Or like Hannah Montana. I don't have any more daughters. They're all raised now. They got daughters. I got no more but God helped me to see that what appeals to the world should not appeal to me because behind all that stuff is a the Spirit. There's a Spirit behind all of that. We wouldn't be warned about it, and the Bible wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. And verse 37 again, it said, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto demons. And verse 39, they were defiled with their own works and went a whoring with their own inventions. Now, let me ask you a question. Can that happen to Christians? All the devil needs to do is put you to sleep to where the needs you have don't need to be met by the Lord. You just need to learn how to live with them, cope with them, get you a good psychology book, and learn to get heady. If you know what heady means, smart. And all of that is a lie because God takes simple people like, well, me, and points us back to his word for every single need in my life, everything in my life. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Or as Luke said in Acts, for in him we live and we move and have our being. It's all about Jesus. And if I'm hanging around people that don't believe in him, I shouldn't be hanging around them. If my best buddies somebody out here in the world that I can't talk to him, I can't pray over my food in front of him because it would offend him, what am I doing with people like that around me? I've lost way more friends than I'll ever have. Just because you're willing to adjust your life, hopefully that's being conformed to what Christ wants. I know it could be better but at least there's an effort there's a trying there i'm going to read for you something in the book of judges here because i've got my handy little marker in my bible i can get to it quicker in judges chapter two listen to this and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land you shall throw down their altars but he said but you have not obeyed my voice why have you done this that's what God is saying to his people. I told you when I sent you into the land, have nothing to do with anybody in, in that land. Destroy all of them. This is divine capital punishment. You go in there and destroy them all. Don't leave any of them. And they did because they liked what they were doing. They watched them worship, dancing around in Some of them little old Moabite girls, pretty cute. Pretty racy little things. And then boys got to looking at them. And the boys realized there was more in life than spiritual pursuits. I got to look at them little girls. Them girls look at some of them cute boys. How do you destroy that? I mean, what have they done? I mean, we're just coming to this land. Aren't we strangers in this land? We've been in Egypt for 400 years, and now we're in this land, and God said to destroy them. And the more I look at them, I think, you know, they're really not bad people. I mean, okay, they're having fun. They're dancing around that stick and all of that, but they're having fun. You know, they worship poles. So they begin to think differently than God gave them to think, and they begin to order their lives differently, and they allowed these things to stay, and eventually these things became their way, and God had to destroy them. He said in the end, he said, you're worse than they were. In chapter 3 of Judges, let me read this. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Pesirites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You've got to like all that. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Baalism and the groves. They found their pleasure. They found their whatever it is they're looking for in life. They found it all in the world. They don't go to church anymore because it's dead. All they feel is either condemned or tired when they go to church. So they go out and begin to pursue their job, their career, and advance and do and get and have and be and and pleasure here and pleasure there. And, And they forsook all the things that God said you should have, and they forsook him, and they went to the world, they began to serve him, and they all died lost. And I'm sure every one of them, when they stood there at the judgment bar of God at the last day, when they stood there at the bar, and they realized, as they look back at their foolish life, their self-serving life, they look back, they must have thought, I have been made a fool of. I was the easiest pickings the devil ever had in this life. All he had to do was tweak my feelings and my passions. And, man, I turned away from this narrow way to this broad way. I thought I was having fun, and now I've died, and here I am. And a righteous God gives a righteous judgment against an unrighteous life. God is fair. God is fair. He's not only loving, but he's fair. He points you to a way that he approves of. If you go away, he doesn't approve of. He said, your call, your choice, my judgment. Isn't that fair? You could go that way, couldn't you? Amen. So let me talk to you this morning. Let me begin now. Let me talk to you about two kinds of unbelievers. One is more serious than the other one. Neither one of them are good or right. But one is much more serious than the other one. The first class of unbeliever, I would call the obstinate. Now, obstinate is is not a difficult word. It means stubborn, (coughs) stubborn, unyielding. For our lesson today, it just simply means unwilling. Just an unwilling person. It's like I'm my own man. I do as I think and as I see it. And if I don't see it the way I think I want to see it, then I reject it. I don't care who said it, where I am when it was said. I'm my own man. I do things my way. Isn't that what Frank Sinatra said? I do it my way. Well, that's what the word obstinate would mean. The dictionary says the quality or state of being difficult to remedy, relieve, or subdue. Let's just think of it as a stubborn, unwilling person. This is the worst kind of unbelief because this is a person who hears, has an opportunity, maybe in a good place or visiting a good place or lives in a good place. I mean, the word is there and they hear it, but again, Their life is so attached to the world, they're so busy with the world and the opportunities the world has, they see the word of God as somewhat of a hindrance to getting what they want because if you do it this way, it's gonna hinder me getting what I want and the preacher won't compromise, he won't play my game, so I'm just not gonna do that. That's what an obstinate person, I'm just not gonna do that. I'm stubborn, I'm unwilling. I know I shouldn't do this that way, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I know God told me not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I really want what I want. It's like borrowing. Everybody borrows. Everybody borrows. But some of us just said a long, long time ago, I'm not going to do that no more. And we were told by the church, well, you'll never have anything. You'll never have anything. If you don't borrow, you'll never have anything. How could you have anything? You ain't going to drive nothing but junk. You're going to live in a tent. Now, there's people who refuse to believe that. I don't accept that. I do not accept the fact that if I live on his terms, that I'm gonna suffer greatly because of it in this life. Now, I may have a time of testing and difficulty, seasons of that, of course. But I do not believe that God will ever see his seed begging bread. As I've told you before, it's just a testimony of mine, that's all, that God is faithful when you have no income. There's no guarantee ever, ever of anything in any week. You got places to go. And sometime when you leave those places they forgot you were there. They didn't give you anything. But then you go to some places and then they give you more than they should. But you're not going anywhere to get anything, you're just going because it's a ministry God gave you. And God said, he'll take care of you, don't worry about it. And sometimes you have nothing, you got a bill paid, you got another meeting, you say, I'm not gonna worry about it. And you go to that meeting and bills get paid. There's just people who don't care what it's gonna cost them to live the way God wants them to live. They're not going to access the ways of this world in order to get what they want, or be offended if you tell them they shouldn't. Bob, that's real too. Some people just get offended at the truth, at the truth, Well, at your opinion, is it? They just don't want to hear it. And so, you just make the right decisions. You say, well, I'm going to do it this way. The worldly man can't do it. Church folks, most church folks won't do it. They won't do it, they will not do it because they don't want to do it that way. Therefore, they are obstinate. Say amen. Turn to the Gospel of John chapter five. Now this would refer here to salvation. John chapter five. Does everybody that hear the gospel come to the Lord because they heard it? No. Look at verse 40. Jesus said, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Now, in the other sources you have to read that is what scholars say about that. It means this, you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. You're unwilling. You will not. As an act of your will, you say, I choose not to do that. You might say, like some, well, I really would like to do that, but I cannot do that now. Remember that happened to Jesus in Luke chapter 9? Let me first, me first, me first, me first, let me go to... They wanted to, they had the right idea about doing it, but they wouldn't do it when he said to do it. They simply said, I'm not going to do that. Whether speaking in tongues, maybe it's that. There is an entire company of believers in America, huge mass of good people who have been talked out of that, and they will not and never will do that. And yet, that was the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, they talk about the Holy Spirit. They sing about the Holy Spirit, but they reject it. They reject the way he comes because of the stigma that's attached to being a tongues talker. If you speak in tongues, your eyes roll back your head, slobber comes off the middle of your lip, and you have to do it like it's here, and you, and you shake all over, and you go through Walmart <laughs> like that, and you just made a fool of yourself. Well, that's the way you're talked about. When I asked my mother about it the first time. She said, where have you been? And she proceeded to tell me about a tent meeting. Sawdust and little dancing and carrying on and hollering and yelling. Somebody said, oh, you're going to drop your baby. Somebody said, oh, if I drop my baby, I'll get another. If I lose my soul, it's gone forever. My mother told me that now. I don't think I've ever told you that one ever. My mother lived in the woods, buddy, but... That's just the picture, the stigma attached. Therefore, because of the stigma attached and the self-serving nature of most Christians that's never been altered, they say, I'm not going to do that. They get so offended, they come in here and you raise your hands. Thy loving kind," and they get, oh, oh, oh. When I was in the Christian church, they gave us a little bulletin. You open it up and it tells you, What's going to happen? This is what God's going to do today. The first time I went to a full gospel businessmen's meeting, most of you don't know what that is, but it was a really gifted movement a long, long time ago. And I remember they got up there and they got to singing and carrying on, dancing on. I've never done that in my life. You talk about obstinate, man, I'm I put my hands in my pocket and under my belt in my pocket so they wouldn't come out. <laughs> I ain't pulling my hands out and doing that. I was embarrassed being around these people. But you know what I couldn't deny? The looks on their faces. And I think, what's wrong with that one? Then one night, one of them thought he was anointed. There was a thing that people had done in some of these meetings that they'd run across the back of the chairs. Supernatural thing. You just run across the chair backs and you can run back and just go across. I'd heard about that. And then one night I saw one He landed in third row, but I saw him start. (laughs) In Louisville, Kentucky, yeah, he took off, and chairs went flying everywhere. Of course, by this time, I was already in, and I thought, that poor soul. He thought he was anointed, had chair marks on his head and laying on the floor and dirty. (laughs) I'm sure the devil tried to talk you out of all the things that God's doing. He's been a master at it. The Bible talks about those who lie and wait to deceive. All they're doing is by words and techniques and sly things they're making you unbelievers. You mentally agree with God, and what mental agreement people have, they think that's called faith. If you mentally agree with God, I've been in church my whole life, been baptized, served God, teach Sunday school class. that means you're a believer and yet they're the first ones to throw a book at you when you're not obeying God. You've got a book in your lap you're ignoring, and you're telling the truth, but they're mad. That's one of the signs of the last day. I'll just go ahead and give you this one free, too. One of the signs, I think, of the very last day is that people are going to be greatly offended by the truth. The truth. But he said in verse 40 again, you will not come to me that you might have life. Why? Because in chapter 3 and verse 36, He says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's why things don't go well for him. That's why he lives a continual struggling life. That's why he's always wondered, everything you say, you you preach about the abundance, and you preach about healing, and you preach about hell, and all they can do is gender questions. How could that be? How can that be? How can that be? And then they begin to murmur. Then they begin to complain. And then they begin to hang around and listen to people who murmur and complain. They listen to talk shows. I don't care how patriotic, right-wing, total, embedded, deep, in dark right-wing beliefs. If they keep telling me to think bad about other people and to think bad about everything else, and they start causing me to become negative in my thinking, I had no business listening to them, whoever they were. I don't need to listen to that kind of trash because all it leads to is murmuring and griping and complaining. I'll tell you one thing, I ought to do this. and I, I have done it. I'm not the only one in here that's done it. I'm sure some others have too, but I have found myself having my comments about politics. The Christian life has little or nothing to do with politics except praying for the government. It's not my job to run the show. The ways of this world are alien to the ways of God. How could I, as a Christian, uh, promote Christianity in some public office when you can't do that because you have to do it the world's way. What if I was mayor of the city in Christmas time and I had to get involved in all of that? And I said, I can't do that. Well, you'd be (laughs) ex-mayor. Listen to me. We don't care what you believe about your church stuff as long as you do it the way we do it. I don't care where you're going, what all your doctrines are, Hamilton, as long as you do it the way the rest of us do it. You can talk about your healing all you want to, but when you're not well, we are offended if you don't go to a doctor. And they are. We are offended that you don't have insurance like the rest of us on your body. Are you nuts or something? And why are you talking about this Obamacare? You don't even have any insurance yourself. You're one of the problems that we have in society. I say, time out? I'm not a problem in your society. My dad, bless his heart. He used to say, everybody wants to be a politician. He had a name for them. They ought to lock them up for six months because they're all a bunch of liars anyway. See, I don't want to talk like that. That's negative. I don't want to spend the rest of my life talking about how much gasoline costs. 2 dollars 09 to $3.15. You know what? 15 gallons cost you three more dollars. Three? Three of the little ones. One. Two, three. Is that all the difference is? Three major dollars. You put a pencil where your mouth is and start doing some arithmetic and you won't have to murmur. You can't change gas prices. You're not going to wade into the IRS and tell them what they... Listen, they have no right to take your income anyway, but they're going to get it. They have no right to it. Government has no right to my labor. Tax me for it. But I'm sure if I stood up and swelled my chest up, well, they'd resurrect one of them prisons out there in California. Put him in the middle of it. I quit complaining about how much taxes are and how much I had to pay. That cost how much? I just pay it. I gave somebody too much change the other day. They didn't give me any change back, and I walked off. I said, I ain't going to ask him to give my 20 cents back. Donate it. I don't want to get involved in that. I just came back from fast food they cheated me out of 20 cents i couldn't back up because the window was back there and i couldn't get out and man i wanted to get out and go back there and knock on the window (laughs) charge me all that for a hamburger only and ain't even half of it meat (laughs) go ahead talk like that live like that if you want to complain about everything gripe about everything listen to people that tell you those kind of things and talk like them and pretty soon you'll be complaining about God. Well, I've been going to church. I never got healed. I, never, I tried and I put money in the box and I'm still broke. Keep going. You're on your way. If you keep going down that road, eventually you are going to be an unbeliever and obstinate at the booth. I'm not going to believe that. I know people from yesteryear called the faith messenger, called heresy or something. I said, boy, I wouldn't want to say that. I wouldn't want those kind of words to come out of my mouth. But they did. They didn't care. You know what? Today, they're gone. They have drifted into the systems of this world. They can faintly remember those religious days. You know, I kind of got caught up in that kind of stuff. You know, I used to go there, but I've been delivered from that, he said. Turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 and verse 2. You've probably heard this verse before, but it will apply here. Wherein, in, in time past, that would be us. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit. Do you see the word spirit? Amen. The spirit that now worketh where? In the children of disobedience. The word disobedience here is a word for believe with an A in front of it. A-P-E-I-T-H-O and it simply means negative believing or obstinate unwillingness to believe, unpersuasableness. Experts cannot persuade some people to believe. He said he walked according to the spirit of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh inside, inside your body, in your mind, in, I, in, dwelling place, in the children who are, unbelievers, or who are refused to believe. Most of them go to church. Most of them are church members. Most of them are. They just never got away from it. Look in chapter 5, the same book, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. I've been talking about that. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon what they produce. What's it say? Children of disobedience. Same word, same thing. Well, let me ask you a question. While you're looking at that verse, we're learning something right here. What then causes me to become a disobedient child? Deception. Error. Are you with me? Vain words. Empty words. Words that don't mean anything. Preachers Well-to-do, big-name, known preachers are good at using vain words. All the right words, we're going to believe God, and God is going to go through this land, and we're going to change this world for God, and God is calling out his heart. They talk like that, and it's empty. You know why it's empty? Because they not only don't believe that, but that's not going to be. The world's not getting brighter and brighter. It's getting darker and darker. Jesus said the day will come when man can't work because darkness is coming not brighter. In the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. God forbid that we would be in that number. God help us. Go to Colossians. Go two books to your right. Two books. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon this earth. Then he mentions, let's read them. Fornication, that's all forms of sexual impurity. Heterosexual, homosexual, any other kind of sexual. Amen. Anything to do with sex is under this one heading of fornication. Amen. There's those who say, well, I was born A homosexual. Well, then accuse God of making you a fornicator when you were born because that's what your lifestyle is all about. Anything outside of the boundaries of marriage constitutes fornication. You can think it, and you can do it, but it's a fornicating spirit. It's a passion-laden desire for emotional erotic release. It's everywhere you look today. And uncleanness. You got a lot of uncleanness in marriage too. In marriage, uncleanness. Now don't look at me real hard now. There's a lot of uncleanness between men and women. We condemn what women do with women and what men do with men, but if men and women do the same thing, same spirit. Same kind of spirit comes into your family and into your life. You're welcome. Inordinate affection. Evil concupiscence, Isn't that a great word? And covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6. For which thing's sake the wrath of God comes on whom? So would you say the people who do these things are disobedient? It's the word A-P-E-I-T-H-O. It's a word negative belief. If Christians are practicing these same things, what are they? Well, I hope conviction comes somewhere. I really do. I heard Brother Freeman talk about this many, many years ago, and I used to go, ugh, don't say that. Then as I grew older, I realized this thing has taken over. There is so much trash out there to arouse people that people are living with an arousal. Porno, movies, language, music. Music talks about this stuff all the time. Your kids listen to it. I found a CD on the seat here one morning after church, what, a couple years ago? And I thought, what's this all about? And I put it in my decent disc player in my car. And I got to that big water tower there, how far is that? That's about six words and three strums on a guitar. And the words that came out of this heathen's mouth were so vulgar that Bonnie was yelling, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And I said, I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) So I took the thing and broke it in as many pieces as I could. How did I find that in this room? Do your kids listen to that? Have they been sacrificed to the world that we no longer monitor what they're doing and what they're listening to, that they are allowed to listen to that? Have you ever read their text messages that they do at night when they're in bed when they should be asleep at one or two in the morning the, the trash that they're saying? I've read some of it. Here we are as deep in time believers and the world out there is just unrelenting pressure against people, and children especially. I think sometimes a parent ought to just roll their sleeves up and say, bless God, I'm willing to go to war here because the Bible does tell us to fight. Our enemy is an unseen enemy of the powers of heaven and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Not flesh and blood because the power that's in those tattooed, painted imbeciles that are beating on a drum with their little tight pants on, that came from the devil. Oh, don't get me into that. I'm going to read the Phillips translation of Colossians 5 and 6, 3, 5 and 6. I know you don't have that translation. Just let me read it for you. Insofar then as you have to live on this earth, consider yourselves dead to worldly contacts, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, dirty-mindedness, uncontrolled passion. That's usually when you're alone. Evil desire and the lust for other people's goods, which... Last, remember, is a serious sin of idolatry. It is because of these very things that the holy anger of God falls upon those who refuse to obey him. If you know something is wrong, if you know a certain kind of activity, thought, or adventure is wrong, why do you do it? Don't you think your conscience is telling you not to? Well, you've got to live your life by choices. You've been taught that, and you've been told that, and you've got to make that decision. Let me say one more thing about this: to be an unbeliever is to be a rebel. Because under that smiling face with lifted-up hands, or shooting pool to pool, or wherever you are, there is this obstinate rejection of living God's way, of doing God's way, of saying God's words. I'm going to do it. You shouldn't date a boy. You shouldn't even be out with a boy. He's not even saved. I'm going to do it anyway. Your mom and dad said, I don't want you seeing him. I'm going to see him anyway. That's what I'm talking about. You shouldn't. I don't care how cute she is and how lovely and vivacious she is. You shouldn't be around. You shouldn't mingle with girls like that. Well, she likes me, and I don't see nothing wrong. Besides, I'm going to bring her to church. Oh, I see. When you come through the door, some kind of a thing with some electric, (laughs) and she just goes, hallelujah. Hallelujah. If that was so, we're going out in the parking lot and take turns coming in. (laughs) Oh, invent that. A rebel is simply a disobedient person. I looked up in the dictionary what a rebel was. It just simply means to act or show opposition or disobedience. That's a rebel. In Christian circles, we would just say it's opposition to God. And I want you to turn to two places and then we'll come to a close. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9 and Ezekiel chapter 12. That's in the middle to the right a little bit. And Deuteronomy is all the way up front. Deuteronomy 9 and verse 23. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, what did you do? He said, Then you... Rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. Against what God said, you refused to do it, and you disobeyed it, which means, and you believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. To all of us here that are listening now, and to all of you out there in the world, a rebel is a person who might have good intentions... But when what God wants has a restrictive nature or requires more, they won't do it. I'm not going to do it. He said, I sent you in the land, but you wouldn't give heed to my commandment, and you would not believe the things that I said. That's what a rebel is. A sweet rebel, well-dressed rebel, well-to-do rebel. A dear old saintly rebel. Old saintly grandma, old saintly grandpa always got that smile on his face. He wouldn't trust God when he could. And we're not going to tell him that. But if they've heard the way of righteousness and they would not do it for whatever reason, then they're rebels. Would you agree with that or not? Don't say you would or not. But just think about it. Is that a rebel? Is a rebel somebody that says, I ain't going to do it? You ever raise one? How many of you have children? You ever had your child rebel? Was there ever a clash between you and him or you and her? They broke all your rules. Have you ever had that happen? Of course you have. They rebelled against you. That doesn't mean that they're going to remain that way, as you'll see in the second part of this study. But they did. They stole something, they took something, they invited a child over without asking you, and then whined and cried because, <laughs> because they're rebels. The Adamic nature is a rebel. Daydreaming is rebellious. Foolishness, the Bible says, is bound in the heart of a child. Foolishness is a way that you learn to disobey God because you disobey your parents and your school teachers and everybody else. It's what an unbeliever is. Look in Ezekiel 12 and verse 2. Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house notice these words now a rebellious house even though they have eyes to see and see not they have ears to hear and hear not why they're rebellious not it what it says that's what it says it didn't say here that in this instance it does in another place it doesn't say here that God closed their eyes so that they couldn't see because the good thing about all of us here is that the plan of salvation has appeared to all men. Just a lot of people saw what was required. They could see it with their mind's eye. They have these little pictures. If I live that way, it's going to be and I won't have. I won't do it. And then there's those who have eyes to see. Uh-uh. They have ears to hear. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Or to dismiss yourself from judgment. Well, I really want to. I'm just not ready for that. Well, what are you going to do I'm going to put it on the shelf. Somebody say, you ain't got no more room on your shelf. Your shelf is full of things you should be doing you don't want to do. You want the benefits of God. You want his presence. You want his love. You want his peace and joy and his kindness, his long-suffering. You want his faith. You want everything about God, but you don't want to follow him. You don't want to love him back, in other words. To walk by faith is to love God. He that hath my commandments... And keepeth them, he it is that loves me. And God said, and I will love him. It's a mutual thing. It's how we love God. I'm not saying we hate God by saying, I know what you said, but I ain't going to do it. But I think we're close. Because God used the word despise once in asking about why his people despised him. One place I think it's in the Psalms. He said, why do you despise my word? Why do you despise it? What is it about what I've said and done and all the promises I've made that are so offensive to my people? Well, they're not offensive. It's just that people have an attitude that's formed by a lot of things, and they're just obstinate. They're just not going to do it. They are rejecters of God's Word. Amen. I'm about a third of the way through with what I came to say this morning. Now, I know you all want me to stay here. We'll stay here at 3 o'clock and finish this. <laughs> Amen. There is more. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, as you open our eyes to see just the things you've said this morning, you cause us to want to truly stop and examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith or not. For your word, like a two-edged sword, Lord, has sliced right down into the middle of our lives, into the hidden places in our heart. And your word exposes what is fleshly and self-serving in our life as opposed to what is spiritual. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would take each one of us, every one of us, and deal with us to bring us to a place of full submission to your will and to your way so that we're all willing vessels, that we would be willing and obedient that we would will to do your will. Jesus said, if we were willing, we shall know. And we need to know your way. I ask you to bless everybody in this room. The little ones that can understand their brothers and sisters, their parents, their aunts and uncles, their grandparents, everybody in here, Lord. I pray that nobody is left out that we all get to carry something out of here today to deal with, to wrestle with, help us to reach the right conclusion and do the right things and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and give us discernment to see if somebody is going astray. You've told us in the Bible that if we are spiritual people, we should be able to locate others who are departing from the faith and be able to talk to them. Make us that spiritual, O Lord. I ask in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to sin thy Uh e